0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody, and welcome to, I guess, a a holiday weekend edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. I join you uh, right smack dab in the middle of Thanksgiving weekend to talk once again about substance abuse, the disease of addiction, and the road to recovery. Sponsored, of course, each and every week by Retreat, premier addiction treatment center's about which more a little bit later. You know, we thought we would take the opportunity of a holiday weekend to kind of focus on Thanksgiving and the dinner and the family. You know, it's fairly well known that for young people, college-age people, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is one of the biggest go-out nights of the year. I mean, it rivals New Year's Eve and any other holiday. Young people home from college – and uh haven't seen maybe their friends in a while so they're out on Wednesday nights and then they're uh confronted uh with the family dinner on Thanksgiving and as we all know Thanksgiving at least in our our house and i'm sure yours is one of the you know uh, most cherished holidays of the year there's there's very little pressure beyond eating a lot and watching a lot of football if you're if you're so inclined um but for lots of people it's also not a norman rockwell painting it can be a very difficult day, uh, particularly if you find yourself in um, recovery uh, or during any sort of substance abuse issue. So, we're going to take a, a kind of look at that with, with a really terrific story and a guest who provides uh, us with a, a unique kind of Thanksgiving story in the context of substance abuse. Lisa joins us on the telephone. Uh, Lisa, first of all, happy Thanksgiving and thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio.
1: Oh, thank you for having
0: me. Yeah, we're we're going to sort of um, sandbag the, the the story of Thanksgiving here for a second because I know it's central to your uh, your story, but we want to begin by getting to know you. Lisa is uh, an alumnus of a retreat. She joins us uh, through Maggie Hunt's efforts. Maggie's the uh, coordinator of alumni activities. So, uh, Lisa, tell us about you. Who who are you? Where are you from? Let's begin at the beginning. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in the Leesport area, um, up towards Reading, PA.
0: And you, how old are you?
1: I'm 45. The grandmother of two.
0: No, you're not.
1: Yes, I am. <laughs> well,
0: congratulations. You're the youngest grandmother I ever met.
1: Well, I'm honored to be a grandma. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: yeah, it's fun around our house as well. Anyway, uh, so so tell us the circumstances of your uh, upbringing. You know, family, siblings. What
1: was it like? Well, I'm the youngest of three, and to say my childhood was a bit confusing is is an understatement. Um, My mom and dad were married until I was three, then they got divorced. And then in my teen years, my mom and dad got remarried. So it was a little bit confusing for me in um, and, and dealing with that whole scenario. So um, <clears throat> when I was able to, when I turned 17, I joined the Army to get away from, you know, the stressful situation at home.
0: Uh, what the stress just of a marriage broken up and then and then mended again is that what you mean or were there other factors yes
1: yeah, and, and and just you know dealing with my own thoughts about you know how could they my parents um, be married for such such a short time when I was little and then they get back together um, later on in life that was confusing didn't make sense
0: yeah yeah what what uh, Again, what was the stretch of time between the divorce and the remarriage?
1: Um, it was approximately ten years.
0: Wow! So you have ten years where, as a young, very young child, you, 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 you're trying to get over the, the disruptedness of that, and and maybe around the time when it's sort of you know adjusted to, dad comes back, huh?
1: Well, actually, mom came back. Ah, mom. My came- dad had my dad had custody of me and i am so thankful um because there was one sense of normalcy in my life and that was my grandparents they lived right next door to us so i could always spend time with them and you know they were always there to you know for me if i needed anything and you know my grandmother taught me many things
0: well, uh, so We'll get to your army your military service in a second, but during that growing up period when after your parents get divorced and you're growing up were you when did you start um experimenting with drugs or alcohol?
1: It was actually when I joined the army um I really had not experimented when I was in high school. I always you know tried to do my best and walk the straight line um but as soon as I broke away from you know, being at home and I was on my own, I, I lived in Alaska, you know, I didn't have anybody to supervise me and I didn't really have anybody to reach out to. And my entire life, I've always felt socially awkward. So in finding alcohol at that point, um, and when I would drink, I would feel more relaxed around people, I could speak easier around them, and it sort of became a way for me to, you know, let the person I was inside out.
0: How old were you when you joined the military, 17, 18?
1: 17.
0: Yeah. yeah um, that's an interesting decision. You Did you arrive at the decision to join the military by yourself? Did someone urge you, or why did that seem like a good idea?
1: Um, I've always wanted to serve. My dad has served, my uncle, my um, grandfather. We've always had the military in our family. And I thought it was during Operation Desert Storm, and I thought, you know, there's no better way for me to give back. It would be a win-win situation.
0: So, and you were sober. Yeah. You were sober at that point. You you weren't uh, you weren't in an active <laughs> active. Adi- no, no, no. I'm, I mean, what I mean is that you, you made this a clear-headed decision for all the right reasons. Uh, was there any Was there any incidents of substance abuse in your family? Um, you know, in your family history.
1: Yes, there there is. Um, my mom um, has and and has an issue with alcohol abuse Mm -hmm. um she's facing those demons day by day now and and she's doing very well and i'm so happy to see that um my grandfather the same thing um you know i I grew up seeing alcohol all around you know that that side of my my family so it's not something that wasn't uncommon
0: did you experience it as a, as a problem with your grand, grandparent or grandfather and your mom, or was it just they drank a lot?
1: With my grandfather, it was they drank a lot. Um, with my mother, it was, it, it was a problem mm-hmm. because she tended to be a bit more um, belligerent um, when she was drinking. Um so that did make it more difficult for me to be around her
0: and yet you you managed to avoid what is fairly typical among young people, and that is experimenting with drugs and alcohol as a, as a youngster and instead decide to serve your country and and join and join the military so were you deployed over- uh, overseas
1: during that period i was never I was never overseas um I was stationed in Fort Wainwright, Alaska. Um, And there is not very much to do in Alaska during the winter months. And I got there in September. And basically, there's really only two things to do, ski or drink. And I wasn't very good at skiing. So, (laughs) again, that's when I learned to, you know, turn to alcohol to help open me up so I could, you know, survive Feel al- like I fit in
0: better survive alaska you, you left out a yeah. third you left out a third possibility and that's drinking and skiing which would really be dumb so yeah. so yeah, how I so how, by the way drinking is is another one of these there's nothing unusual about a, someone in the service in a posted in a place like alaska mm-hmm. hanging around with the uh, with the troops and uh, throwing a few back how, how quickly did that sort of routine behavior present itself as a problem to you? I mean, when did you know you were drinking more than everybody else?
1: Um, I would say it took me at least a, a year of being in Alaska and being in the backs and getting to, to, you know, know everyone and see how they were drinking compared to how I would drink. And I didn't, I couldn't just have one drink. I had to drink till, you know... I felt socially comfortable and then I went past socially comfortable right to socially you know open and sometimes I couldn't keep my mouth shut
0: were you a uh, blackout uh, drinking or uh, right off the bat do you remember that
1: um, I wouldn't call it blackout drinking I would definitely call it more of a binge drinking right. at that point point.
0: Mm-hmm. and and um, how long did that situation um, exist, the heavy
1: drinking? For three years. I was stationed there for three years, and that was basically the entire time that I was there.
0: At any point during during uh, your time in the service when you were heavy drinking, um, did you look for help within the military structure? Is there any place where a, a service person can turn and say, you know, I'm drinking too much?
1: you can always seek help in the in the military hospitals but it's not something that was that's common even now um you know with the VA trying to get assistance for people who who are veterans to detox and get into rehab each state or e- even each county has its different allowances of what they will let people do mm-hmm. if you're going through the VA mm-hmm. so no, I would say I did not look for help through through the hospital or VA
0: now, how long were you in the service?
1: three and a half years
0: okay and you're um, you're drinking heavily through the whole time what what were the circumstances of your discharge? Was it honorable discharge?
1: It was honorable discharge. Um, I met someone who was in the Navy, and he was stationed in New Jersey, and we got married. And the Army and the Navy couldn't figure out how to get us stationed closer together, um, so I got out honorably. Um, and and, c- and continue. Then my drinking. I'm sorry. No, what go was ahead. That? Go
0: ahead. Continue.
1: And then my drinking stopped. Because we wanted to
0: have a family. I want to so stop I-, I want to stop you there, Lisa, and we'll pick up on, on, this, on the story of your of your struggles with alcohol and, and the, your your marriage straight ahead. Uh, Lisa, our guest, she's alumni, a member of uh, retreat alumni group, and we have more of her story straight ahead. This is recovery radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martireno with you. Uh, our uh, guest on the telephone is Lisa. Lisa is a, a member of the the uh, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Center's alumni group, and she joins us with uh, her stories of substance abuse, alcohol being the primary culprit here, and, and her now um, her successful sobriety. We'll find out about that more straight ahead. So, uh, Lisa, you spend this time in Alaska fighting off boredom uh with alcohol it's a big problem for you for the entire time in your service but then you find somebody get married and decide to start a family so you just stop drinking on your own there was no problem doing that
1: um it was a little difficult at first but knowing what our end goal was um you know to start a family that was a I was able to draw from that and gain you know get strength from that
0: and during that period of sobriety, did you start a family?
1: Um, unfortunately, no. Mm-hmm. Um, two years into our marriage, I found out that I had to have a full hysterectomy. Mm. Um, so we were not able to start a family of our own.
0: Did that have any impact on your drinking?
1: It did.
0: Tell me um, tell after
1: me about. that. After that happened... um, I learned that alcohol, as well as opiates, helped numb the pain, both mentally and physically. And that's how I coped probably for the next 10 years, by leaning on those two stu- substances.
0: How serious was the opiate um, abuse?
1: The opiate abuse didn't get very serious until about a year before I went into rehab.
0: And, and how, how were you introduced to opiates? I mean, you already had your hands full with alcohol. Somebody said, try this, it's even better, or how did that work?
1: Well, that worked because I have something called degenerative disc disease, and basically my spine is just breaking apart, and I've had of Lots of back issues, um so whenever I would go to the doctor, they would just write out a prescription, and mm-hmm. I realized, wow, you know this this numbs my head too, right, right, right it doesn't just numb the pain, it numbs my head, and it numbed all the feelings that went with everything.
0: So your introduction to opiates was like many many people nowadays it's, uh, through uh, legal prescription medicine. So how how yeah. uh, soon after you were prescribed the opiates for back pain did you begin abusing them? Did, was it immediate or was it gradual or
1: no? No, I the abuse didn't start. I would say it was probably two years into it when the abuse started. um at the point in my life, I was very depressed. I didn't seek help for that. Um, I was always anxious. I didn't seek any help, and I just started to medicate myself. And that's that's when the the opiate abuse started to increase.
0: And where did it? What, what did it progress to? Where, did you move beyond prescription opiates into uh, street drugs, or or what?
1: Into heroin, yes. I did. Um, I was going through my prescriptions um, very quickly. And with the laws nowadays and how pharmacies work, you know, there's just no getting away around the system. So I did turn to heroin.
0: What was the impact on your, um, your, uh, your marriage? I mean, did, did it fall apart as a result of the substance abuse or is, did it hold up?
1: No, it fell apart um many years before mm-hmm. um so yeah at this point in my life i was single i was dating someone who was out every weekend, so i kind of had that party life going on too on the weekends
0: what at the at its worst what what was the amount of heroin you were using
1: At its worst, I would say, one hundred and fifty dollars a day.
0: Wow! And you were how old at this point, Lisa? At four, I was
1: forty-four. What did you? Uh, so,
0: you know, people have a difficult time understanding why anybody would subject themselves to something so insidious as a heroin habit. Um, can you describe, you know, why you did that much heroin? Is it as simple as you liked the way it made you feel?
1: Uh, No, it's not that simple. Initially, in the beginning, that's what it may have been. But once your body, once my body started to get used to it, when it didn't have it, I became violently sick. So in the morning, I would have to take something or use something just so I could get my day going. Because if I didn't, I was sick and I wasn't very productive at all. At least if I used a small amount, I would be able to get through some of my day.
0: During that period of time, what was your relationship with your family? Your dad, for instance, or your grandparents?
1: Um, Well, my grandparents had passed. Okay. Um, The relationship that I've had with my family up until last year was uh, strained beyond belief. My brother and I hardly spoke to each other. My sister and I were polite when we were in mixed company. Um, I had began drinking with my mom uh, when we would go out for dinner. We would drink together. Um, so, yeah, until a year and a half ago, it, my relationship with them was strange.
0: Were they aware of your of your heroin habit? No. You were, You managed to keep that from them, huh?
1: From my parents, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I had remarried, Mm -hmm. and my husband, um, who I've now been with for for eight years, he knew that I was using the prescriptions and that I was abusing them. He did not know that I had turned to heroin.
0: Lisa's our guest on the telephone. Uh, Lisa's telling us about her struggles with substance abuse that began with uh, heavy alcohol and then uh, to prescription painkillers up to and including a heroin habit, a pretty serious one. All of that changed a year ago. When we continue on recovery radio, we'll hear the rest of Lisa's story. Stay with us. We have more. Welcome back to recovery radio. Steve Martoreno uh, with you on this um, Thanksgiving weekend. We'll uh, pick up the story of uh, Our guest Lisa struggles with substance abuse straight ahead. But first, a reminder that Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. They um, have one of the great reputations in this field. They've helped loads and loads of people. If uh, you're looking for treatment, uh, you could do uh, no better, I think, than Retreat. But I, I give you their phone number every week, and I tell you the same thing. They hope you never have to use it. But uh, should you or someone you love be struggling with substance abuse and looking for some answers to questions, that's what this number is for, and that's why we give it to you in the hopes that you never need it. But in a bad situation, it may be a lifesaver. 855-859-8808. That's the phone number for Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Any question about anything you've heard on the show or any questions you may have personally about this disease and treatment uh, available, They'll answer it for you. You'll talk to an actual person that knows what they're talking about. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, 855-859-8808. From their alumni group, Lisa's been with us on the telephone this Thanksgiving weekend. We keep talking about Thanksgiving, and we'll tell you why straight ahead. Uh, Lisa struggled with uh, substance abuse for a uh, fairly intense 10-year period in her 30s and early 40s. Um, That progressed all the way up to – a heroin habit Uh, so uh, Lisa at what point did you just say I gotta get some help
1: I had always been the type of person to even in my worst morning get up and go to work but I stopped going to work and my marriage was falling apart my husband and I just completely isolated from each other Um, my stepson, the same thing. I isolated myself from him. I was barely present in my own life, if that makes any sense. Um, I wanted to stop. I have two beautiful grandchildren that I wasn't being a part of their life, and I could understand why my stepchildren wouldn't let them in my life at that point. I knew I needed to do something and i knew i couldn't do it alone and that's how i ended up at retreat
0: so you, you just you you uh, you hit a wall you the end of the, the end of the line this this can't go on uh, was it hard to arrive at that decision was it scary
1: it was very scary um i i, I didn't know what being in rehab would entail so that in itself made me even more apprehensive.
0: Was there anybody you could? Was there anybody in your life you could talk to and ask questions about something like that?
1: Not about that. No.
0: Did you? Uh, so you certainly did this on your own. You didn't. You didn't reach out to family members and say, "Help me do this." You you, you did this on your own.
1: Oh, oh! I shouldn't say that. I re- my husband, of course, I reached out to him and. Um, you know, I said, I need help, please help me figure this out. Um, and we actually went to the hospital that night, um, because I had been drinking all day and we went there and they suggested getting into treatment. Um, but my husband was there by my side and also one of my closest friends, Becky was here with me.
0: And that was one one year ago more or less this weekend, right?
1: Yes. Uh so tell
0: yes. us so tell us about arriving at the retreat uh, treatment facility your husband took you there, I'm I'm assuming.
1: Yes, he did. And I I didn't know what to expect. Um I was nervous. I was scared. Um I was coming off everything that I had put into my body, and I didn't realize that when you drink as much as I did, by not drinking, I could have caused a seizure. I didn't know that until then. But when I when I got to retreat, there were so many other patients who were impatient with me, we just connected. And there's a common link, I think, through all addicts and alcoholics, is we all have this disease. And no matter, you know, if you're the president or, you know, a a regular Joe standing on the street, Mm -hmm. we all face the same sort of issues when it comes to this disease.
0: Well, so you had to be detoxed for sure, right?
1: Oh, yes, I did i I was on detox I believe for ten days
0: do you do you remember what that was like was it as was it as bad as you feared or were you grateful for what was the situation
1: i was I was actually very grateful to detox there because they were able to make sure that I was safe detoxing they helped me deal with the muscle cramps and the being awake and not being able to sleep and the sweats and again, like I said, having a, other women in the same room that I was in who had already gone through these steps that I was just embarking on was a great, it was a great tool to have mm. because they reassured me, Hey, okay, is going to be bad, but tomorrow will be a little bit better. And by, going through all the programs that they have at retreat, um, the music therapy, the pain management, um, the art therapy, the equine therapy, mm-hmm. it, all of those programs helped me in one way or another. Um, you know, my back problems are never going to go away, but by using the meditation that they teach in pain management, It helps me to be able to deal with that on a daily basis. And I don't have to take anything for pain. Well, you
0: know,
1: knowing that that that's going to be, you know, that my pain is being addressed is a huge sigh of relief.
0: So so many people um, look to avoid getting into treatment. For fear of things like detox i don't i don't want to go through it it 's terrible uh, or what what happens if i don't use painkillers with all the pain I have so it's instructive for people to hear from someone like yourself who at least through the support you got uh, during treatment uh, overcame those uh, those sort of uh, obstacles so there's the circumstances that that put you in uh, in retreat uh, a, a year ago and resulted in you. Um I guess for the first time since your military experience of having Thanksgiving dinner away from the family describe that first Thanksgiving in rehab.
1: It was definitely different. Um I I was missing my family at home because I we were always together on Thanksgiving. But as we went to the dining hall and we had our our dinner that evening all of the patients that were there um, they served us turkey and ham and I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else than where I was at that moment because I couldn't be with my blood family I was with this new family that understood where I was coming from and where I wanted to go and that connection that we all had so it wasn't like I was a hundred percent away from my family because I had some of them and are with me
0: mm. and, I, and I'm sure given the, your substance abuse history, there were thanksgivings in the past that didn't turn out real well right
1: uh, right yeah there's there's been a few that uh, well
0: yeah we're, that we're,
1: haven't been good at all were
0: we're, we're awful sure I, I I can imagine um what I think you're the first person I've talked to about celebrating a holiday while in treatment. Do do, do family members visit during those during those periods of time, or, or no?
1: No, during well, during Thanksgiving, it was it's just the people who are impatient. Well, families can't come and visit or anything um, on that day, but it's basically a day of union for everyone who is in treatment. They start out the day by having all of the patients go to the gymnasium. They bring members of the alumni, some of the members of alumni. They speak about maybe five minutes and then each patient says what they're thankful for. And last year when I was sitting there and I saw all the alumni sitting there and I thought, this gives me hope. I want to be there next year at this time
0: and that's exactly where you found yourself uh this most recent thanksgiving this this Thursday uh, right back yes. at retreat you that means if my math is right that you had an anniversary recently right yes so where where are you your one year and how many days
1: one year and thirteen days.
0: Describe for someone who's, who, who may be listening to this who's still abusing drugs or alcohol or, or hasn't made it through a, a rehab, because you, you were lucky that first rehab took for you, how much better this is. I mean, how possible it is.
1: Uh, words can't express um, how much different my life is now than it was a year ago. When I celebrated my one year, my husband, my three stepchildren, and my two grandchildren, we all went out to dinner together. And considering, you know, a year and a half ago, I didn't have really anything to do with them because they were keeping them away from me, which I completely understood um, to the point where I'm able to go and just have dinner with them be
0: with them it's amazing we have more i'm
1: sorry every every day can be like that as long as i don't get up and pick up a drink or a drug
0: we have more with lisa a final segment on uh, recovery radio about where she spent thanksgiving last year and as a matter of fact where she spent thanksgiving this year Stay with us this is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We uh, we hope you're enjoying your uh, holiday weekend. We thought we would take a look at Thanksgiving from uh, the perspective of somebody who has uh, who spent uh, uh, her first Thanksgiving in recovery in treatment and what that was like. Lisa has been our guest on the telephone. We uh, we appreciate her her uh, openness and candor to talk about her problems. A pretty serious 10-year bout with substance abuse has now resulted in um, over a year, just over a year sobriety. Um, one year ago, uh, Lisa, as you heard her describe, her experience found herself with a different kind of family meal at Thanksgiving, and that was in uh, rehab. So, so uh, Lisa, now here we are um, Saturday after Thanksgiving, and I know that you felt compelled to have sort of your second Thanksgiving um, at retreat. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's very important for me to be able to give back. So that's why I want to be part of anything that retreat does on Thanksgiving. So this Thanksgiving at the 9.30 meeting, I went and made sure that I was there. Um, Basically, it's just a meeting where there's a few alumni, all of the patients get in that big circle. We all say what we're thankful for. And that's how they start their day that
0: day. A, a year ago, the, a year ago, when you were on the other side of that uh, equation, uh, when you heard people come in the alumni say say that you know they're sober and it's great, were you thinking? Did it help you think it was possible, or did you just go, "That's not going to happen for me"?
1: No, they when they came in last year. It definitely gave me hope I thought if these people can do this so can I and I just have to make that choice every day one moment at a time even Mm -hmm. to just not pick up
0: well tell me about about that because it is a question or a topic people don't really discuss much when you are talking to somebody who's in a successful recovery is it hard to stay sober? I mean, is it, do you, are there moments when you think, maybe I need a drink?
1: I, I'd be lying if I would say that there aren't any of those moments. There are. But it's all in how you deal with it. Like, if I am ever feeling that way... I will reach out and I'll tell them myself to somebody who I know will call me out on my own stuff, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that would be the biggest thing, um, that I do, but it is difficult. Um, the other thing that keeps me going is like I said, just seeing how messed up my life was a year ago and how it is now and how completely night and day it is. That gives me hope every day, mm-hmm. every morning when I wake up.
0: It's also, um, I mean, every day sober is another day in the bank, so to speak. And the more those days build up, I guess that's a great incentive to keep it going.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I first got out of retreat, the first um, 30 days getting that first chip, that was exciting. And then the next 90-day trip, that was even more exciting. But then you always keep that, that goal, that next goal in mind. And by doing that, that always helped me focus on not only where I am now, but where I want to be.
0: Do you consider your um, recovery complete, or do you think that you're still in the process of recovering?
1: Oh, I think uh, recovery is something that's never complete. It's something that I have to do every day. Um, I don't think we can ever fully say that we are recovered. We do recover, but we're not recover. I don't think we're recovered.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting to talk to somebody who is um, in active recovery after, you know, struggling with this. Uh, during this time of the year because, I, you know, we gather for this holiday, this Thanksgiving thing, and, you know, most people go around the table, what are you thankful for? And some, some of it's genuine, most of it's genuine, um, but it's really been instructive to talk to somebody who who really has something to be thankful for, whose family really has something to be thankful for, um, you know, during a, a Thanksgiving weekend. Lisa... Uh, Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on on the sobriety. And uh, I'm sure that you'll be making, um, probably be making a visit or two on Thanksgiving to retreat for a couple of years. Uh, Again, congratulations. Thanks so much for your time, Lisa. Thank you. Appreciate it. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your holiday. And uh, thanks for listening. Recovery Radio will be back next Saturday. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.